This is Husker Sports Network Originals, presented by JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of Husker Nation. Husker Sports Network Originals tell iconic stories from Husker history, featuring insights from the players and coaches who live them. Subscribe to the Husker Sports Network on your favorite podcast service. And now, passion, preparation, pride. The Ken Pavelka Story. Kent Pavelka never played for the Huskers. He never strapped on the pads for a football game day, nor did he ever lace up his sneakers to take the hardwood. No, Kent Pavelka enjoys legendary status in Husker Nation for a different reason, for having spent the better part of 40 years calling Husker sports on the radio. His signature calls, iconic voice, and even his quintessential bow tie are known and cherished across the state. I'm Ben McLaughlin, here to take you through the life and legacy of Nebraska's most beloved broadcaster, KP, whose passion, preparation, and pride have made him into a Husker legend in his own right. Hi again, everybody. Kent Pavelka and Jake Muehlheisen at Pinnacle Bank Arena in Lincoln, where the Nebraska Cornhuskers tonight take on the UC Riverside Highlanders out of the Big West Conference as we have the season opener for 2019-2020 for you here on the radio tonight, and we usher in the Fred Hoiberg era. Hi again, everybody. Kent Pavelka, Matt Davison at Pinnacle Bank Arena in Lincoln. Tonight, the Nebraska Cornhuskers continue their Big Ten Conference season against the Michigan State Spartans. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to University of Nebraska football. From Miami, it's Orange Bowl 95, the national championship. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to University of Nebraska football. We say hello for the final time during the 1988 regular season. From Norman, Oklahoma, our greetings coming from the side of another highly ballyhooed and long-awaited confrontation on the gridiron between the Nebraska Cornhuskers and the Oklahoma Sooners. Hi again, everybody, from the Coliseum in Lincoln, Nebraska. This is University of Nebraska basketball. Tonight, the Huskers, in fourth place in the Big A Conference race, will be entertaining league-leading Kansas. Well, we have a jam-packed house on hand at the Coliseum in Lincoln tonight. 8,500-plus fans on hand to perhaps witness the last basketball game ever played by the University of Nebraska in this Coliseum. All right, KP, if you can, what were your first memories of sports like as a kid? Was it was it something that you listened to on the radio? Did you talk about with your friends when you first started following games or scores? Do you what, what was it that that you, you remember about just your first experiences with sports? That's easy. That's uh, Lincoln Northeast High School football and basketball. You know, uh, I grew up in, in Northeast Lincoln, a block and a half away from the high school. And as early as early grade school, um, the whole community was, was behind that high school. And, and I remember um, that's my first memory of sports. You know, that community was, was uh, freshly blue collar after the war and lots of, lots of young, young families. And uh, they were really, really behind that, that high school. And I suppose everybody feels like their community was behind their high school, but there was something special about Northeast Lincoln back in those days. And then I, I suppose the second 
kind of wave of memories are, are about listening to play-by-play sports on the radio. You know, when I was a little bit older, I fell in love with that. Y- you know, those two kinds of memories come to me. It's just uh, Northeast Lincoln, the Rockets, and then, you know, first time I, I heard a play-by-play broadcast on the radio, it was like, I was just like mesmerized and and uh, fell in love with it. My most vivid memories of listening to play-by-play on the radio were when I was a little bit older, like a million kids in Nebraska, Saturday afternoon, and we're playing, you know, touch football in the backyard, and on the windowsill is the old tabletop radio uh, blaring through the screen door, and I'm listening to, you know, we're all listening to Nebraska play somebody, you know, imagining ourselves being those players. So I, you know, those guys were, I think, more into the game, and I was in more into the radio at that point. So, you know, I, I, I don't know how to answer that, except that I, I doubt very many people beyond, you know, those of us that are in this profession are smitten about play-by-play radio. You know, but, you know I did play basketball. I played, I played football to a degree, but not in high school. So I think that, that I probably fell in love with uh, play-by-play basketball a little bit more than football, I don't know. Wanting to work his way up the broadcasting ladder, Kent got his first taste of the profession at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's J School. I'm not sure I remember exactly what game it was, but my first time doing play-by-play was like most broadcast majors at Nebraska was through KRNU, the college journalism's radio station, and they had an you know, kind of an infancy of the sports broadcast. There wasn't even a sports broadcast sequence, but they did let us go to Memorial Stadium and to the, the old Coliseum and broadcast uh, JV games. And um, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember coming back after my first football broadcast at Memorial Stadium, and my advisor Larry Walklin. I we were walking down the hall, and he, I caught, you know, I saw him kind of waiting for us at the end of the hall, and. I thought I did a pretty good job, right? And he, he looked at me and he said, Recepted passes. What is a recepted pass? <laughs> and I was like, you jerk. You know, you, you, I, I thought, you are a jerk. You know, it had to be negative, right? But, um, yeah, it, it was kind of what I expected it to be. And I was, you know, I, I couldn't wait to do another one. But I, I, I remember before that, when I was a little kid, we had an old, uh, I guess it was a reel-to-reel recorder, and I would sit in front of the TV and turn the, vo- turn the volume down, and I remember doing New York Yankees stuff, you know, and Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris, and, you know, my parents thought I was certifiably insane, and, but I, you know, I, I kind of figured out that, you, you know, you, you better practice in your craft here, or try to. Gosh, I'd, I'd give a million dollars to hear what that sounded like, you know? Couldn't have been very good. I know back then was a lot different scene when it came time to calling Husker games than, than it is now. From that transition, Kent, from college radio and college classes and college degree to actually starting calling games for the Huskers, how was that process, and, and what was your first opportunity to do that? How did you get your foot in the door? Well, I graduated right between the first and second national championships in football, so I was, you know, I was in college trying to get my undergraduate degree while that was starting to happen and then in 1971 when I graduated I took a job in Fremont 
down the road, and they put me to work doing Midland College, Fremont High School, Fremont Bergen, and American Legion baseball stuff. So I was doing like games, million games a year in all those sports not for all those schools. And I remember we would do Midland games on Saturday. And, you know, I would just kind of be vaguely aware of what was going on with Nebraska, you know, and I would be at this, the old, I don't forget the name of the stadium in Fremont, but doing a Midland game where there were approximately five people there, you know, but I it didn't, I mean, that was the center of the universe for me, right? The Midland games, not Nebraska in that, and so that was kind of weird, you know, having been focused so much on Nebraska and then you get your first job and it's about, it's not about Nebraska. So, uh, but it was fun. I, I enjoyed the experience those, those first few years in Fremont. I had two interviews. I went to KMA in Shenandoah, Iowa, where they had a news director's job opening. And I drove over there and interviewed for that. And luckily, they didn't like me and they hired somebody else because I would have taken the job, you know. But I got back and then, you know, uh, all of a sudden, well, there's a, a job in Fremont. You want to go interview for that? And I said, sure. And then, you know, that was all about that job was a combination of selling radio time with the play-by-play and with a morning show on uh, on the radio. I mean, you know, the, those those kinds of jobs in those kinds of markets for people who are 23 years old, they'll work you a million hours a week, and, and you'll gladly do it. So I didn't have any doubt that this was going to be my career, but you know, I could have been headed to a, you know off into the news industry if, if I'd have gotten that job at KMA. And then just th- things just fall in place. I mean, not through any skill, any result. Of, you know, it's not the result of being any good, really. It's just being in the right place at the right time. But I thought I was really prepared to do play-by-play radio when I first got on the air in Fremont because I had done all that, you know, practicing. And it's funny, I got some tapes somebody sent me from back in those days. And it's, uh, I, can, I can tell that I had been influenced a lot by the guys I had listened to. And, and so I felt ready and I, you know, I hit the ground running. And then, you know, a lot of people who don't go back as far as I do, which is a lot of people, probably don't realize at this point in time that back in those days there was there were three originating or four originating radio broadcasts one of which was KFAB in Omaha and we were a single station doing the games and with the 50,000 watt signal you know I just kind of fell into that after three years in Fremont and uh, otherwise you know I, I never would have had a chance to do Nebraska football or basketball. I came to KFAB and December of 1976, Kent had been there for a while already, about three years, I guess. He's about three years ahead of me. Uh, And um, we just kind of hit it off right away. Both married, um, you know, getting little kids and, you know, that whole time in your life, in your 20s when uh, you're getting cranked up. And uh, and we just, we had great times together from the beginning. We'd, We'd, you know, visit each other's homes and we, families were friends and and we worked together, obviously. And he was uh, he was in operations at KFAB, and so he was technically my supervisor. And uh, it was just a great working relationship there in the beginning, and and continued all these years. Gary Saddlemeyer was KP's longtime broadcast partner. The two enjoyed a natural chemistry on the air together for decades. But Pavelka cut his teeth in the industry 
with a different man, none other than the legendary Lyle Bremser, the Hall of Fame broadcaster who was the voice of Husker football's glory days. Rozier at the top of the iron, Gill calling the count, he turns, flips it off to Rozier, Rozier turns, he's running back around the field, he's trying to get away, he's looking for blockers, he turns upfield, he's going to run a touchdown! Touchdown! Holy cow! Man, woman, and child! Well, we had the greatest voice in Nebraska football history as our play-by-play guy, Lyle Bremser, who you can still hear, you know, in the stadium once in a while as they preserved the Johnny Rogers touchdown run against Oklahoma in the game of the century. He had a voice that was just um, so unique. Unless you experienced listening to him do a Nebraska football game, I I don't think you've heard a Nebraska football game. So we had, we had the guy that had been there forever and that was kind of the most revered. So, you know, as a 24-year-old or 23-year-old getting a job at KFAB with, uh, you know, and initially I didn't know if I was going to do any sports. They knew I was going to, but that wasn't part of the deal. But I was intimidated. He was, he, he was an intimidating guy to me. Now, I don't mean to say that I didn't like him. I did. But he was, had this presence about him that made me really nervous. And I, I, brought, I did color on his football broadcast for 10 seasons. And I wonder, you know, it's a wonder I didn't stroke out. I was it just, every year, every game, I was just beside myself because I, he, he intimidated me. And I never got over that with him. He was hit two or three times. People had shots at him, jarred him, knocked him a little off balance, but then he'd catch his balance and stay on his feet. He put it to the 38, short of a first down by uh, about three yards, second down coming up. Andrews and Harvey finally made the tackle on uh, the guy they call the bull, the big fullback, Johnny Davis. In the second quarter now, Lyle, Iowa has taken the lead over Iowa State. The Hawkeyes 12, the Cyclones 7 in the second quarter. Here in Lincoln, it's 10 to 7, Nebraska. Second down, three, Alabama. I mean, he was, he was a tough guy to work with. But having said all that, he prepared me so well. I mean, you know, he was fastidious and focused and it was the most, you know, that, that job as it has been for me was the most important thing. You know, there was no just showing up and kind of throwing, you know, there was a lot of preparation. And I, you know, I was kind of that way myself. I was that way myself when I walked in there. So we held that in common, but I, I learned so much about taking the broadcast seriously from him. Bremser couldn't do the games forever. Eventually, Pavelka was passed the proverbial baton from the legendary broadcaster, becoming the next play-by-play voice for Husker football. University of Nebraska football is on the air. Nebraska Football Network. Now with Nebraska Football, here's Kent Pavelka. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to University of Nebraska Football. It's a brand new season from up here in the press box to down on the field, and we welcome you to Lincoln, where we are all about to witness, either in person or via the radio, Tom Osborne's 1984 Nebraska Cornhuskers. And Sundberg fakes the handoff. He bootlegs left inside the 10-yard line, 5-yard line, touchdown! for the first time in 1984 with 14 minutes, 55 seconds to go in the first quarter against Wyoming. Split and left now in the eye. And again, it's the option. They give it off up the middle. It's wrapped with the five. He's in there, I believe. Touchdown. Tom Rath 
Blackman from Grand Island, Nebraska, blasting up the middle. Yeah, I, I remember it vividly, and I remember uh, being psyched out, not in a good way, about doing it. I, it was not a feel-good thing for me. I was overwhelmed and nervous and paranoid and, you know, every negative descriptor you want to give it. And then when I got done, I didn't think I did very well. So that's some prize for, you know, <laughs> that's not that's not what you, you want to feel when you finally get to where you wanted to go. But I, I realized I wasn't, you know, when you when you don't do it season after season after season, it's not like riding a bike. You know, it's like riding a bike with, but you're wobbling down the down the street. So it took me some time to get into a rhythm and 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 to feel comfortable and and to have a little bit of confidence about what I was doing. You know, it took several seasons before I felt good about what I was doing on the air in football, in basketball. It was like there was never any interruption because I, I did basketball play-by-play play for those 10 years while I was doing color for Bremser and football. But, you know, I mean, you can imagine you haven't done play-by-play play in football in 10 years. You're taking over for a legend. You're on the air. There's 75,000 fans in the stands. You're very aware of how many people are listening. You know, you, you're kind of overwhelmed by knowing there are a lot of people listening out there across Nebraska and beyond, and uh, you want to do well. You know, you want to do as well as you're eventually going to do, and that's probably impossible. Did that thought ever come to your mind that, you know, I was at once playing football with the radio on the ledge, and now there are probably kids doing that to me right now, and you just feel that, that added pressure? Absolutely. Yeah, I was keenly aware of, you know, people listening to us right now probably think, what egos here, you know, like I, I will describe what you just talked about as, you know, feeling the enormity of the job. But in most people are thinking, get over yourselves. It's just a radio broadcast. Right. But I mean, if you're in the business and this is kind of what you've dreamed about doing and now you're doing it, it and you're not just kind of a different personality who I don't know, it, I think you kind of need to have be that kind of personality to be any good, you know. Because you push yourself. But yes, I, I was keenly aware of that. And you mentioned being sick to your stomach. I felt like that way every football broadcast for forever almost. No different. He was a lunatic, as he still is. I say that. <laughs> I say that. I say that affectionately uh, because we had so much fun together. But very, very passionate about the Huskers. And very dedicated, extremely prepared. I, I, I learned a lot. Uh, watching him about preparation for a broadcast. And he just did a, a, a an amazing job in terms of his enthusiasm. And we, we'd be in the middle of a broadcast, and he was in another zone. I mean, he'd be you know standing up and waving his arms and grabbing my arm, and he didn't even know he was doing it. I mean, he was really into it. And he still is. I mean, I listen to the basketball games, and that's my Kent right there. He has not changed in all of these years. Kansas State, as horrible as they were in football, had the best press box food by a mile of anybody in the conference. And they would get the Kansas pork producers in there, and they'd get the pork queen in there, and they had these massive pork chop dinners for the media. 
And, uh, hey, man, we were digging in. <laughs> Kent's got his plate. He's on his way. We're walking together toward the booth, and he said, I can't eat this. <laughs> he throws it in the garbage can, at which point I almost dived in after it. But, yeah, he would get, he would get uh, especially in that first season or two, you have to understand that uh, Lyle Brimser was such a legend that anybody who succeeded him was going to have a tough go for a while. And the critics came out big time. And that was tough on Kent. It was tough on Kent, but it wouldn't have mattered who it was. And so there were a lot of, there were, there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of nerves before games back in those days. In football, mainly it was Gary, Gary Saddlemeyer, and we of course are in the truest sense of the words, much like brothers. And we worked together for so many years and, and he was just the perfect color guy for me. I mean, he understood his role. And so I listened back to some of those broadcasts sometimes when they're played on the radio and I marvel at what he added to it. So Gary, Gary was really, really good for me. And we worked really good together, I thought. If a broadcaster spends enough time in the business, they'll likely start to develop their own signature style on the air. By this point in his career, KP had certainly done that. But probably his most memorable one came when the Huskers found the end zone. Steve Taylor looks to the five-man cowboy front, takes the snap, hands it off to Clark, cuts back left side, 30, 32, 33, 35, broke it, out across the 40, 45, he may go, 50, 45, 40, first place from scrimmage, 25, 20, 15, 10, The first play from scrimmage. Val Jones, the lone setback from the 47 of CU. Frazier takes the snap, gives it on a counter play. Jones runs behind a blocker, 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 15. He's gone. Touchdown. 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 No, I think uh, with touchdown, 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 you know, I think that the, what happened there was... You know, when Nebraska scores a touchdown, it's like it's a punctuation to a drive, and it's a when you finally get across the goal line, it just felt okay to say touchdown. And then it, it felt like you were doing it more justice when it was touchdown, touchdown. At some point, I felt like I needed to get that third one in there. So I did, and then it just kind of felt like that's what had to be done. Not every time, but a lot of times. And so it was like, it's just code for saying, big deal just happened here. You know, you needed that third one. You needed that third one, you know, and then got it in basketball. It just, uh, that just, uh, I don't know. That's just, you run the shot clock down and throw up a shot and it's a big shot. And it just seemed like that, that was the punctuation mark that needed to be added at that point it just, it, when it became just a feel-good thing about uh, that's a good way to end this call I guess is what I'm saying Pavelka had a big stage for many of his broadcasts he even got the opportunity to call a couple of championship games I realized I got to do two national championship broadcasts you know they won the games and and, and, a, and a third one for the national championship and I realized I got to, I got to do all those games when as people look back on them, you know, that run of uh, was so successfully and that, that I, you know, because I was on the air, that is part of the experience. I realize that, but I don't relate to that with any sense of, you know, monumental importance or 
you know, I don't feel any better about myself because I did that. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, that's for other, that's for other people to say and to think and to feel. It's not for me. You know, it's like people, I think that that's kind of the thing that gets you interested in this profession initially is you, you kind of idolize the people that you listen to and you think, man, what a life that would be. And you, you fail to realize until you do it your whole life that, well, you know what? Yeah, that's true. But I also get up in the morning and have to do all, you know, I'm, I'm just, I got the same problems everybody else does. It's a real life here, you know? So people can fall in love with that, but I realize there's way more to it. You know, there has been way more to my life than just that. And for a lot of people, who think about those days and listen, thinking about those broadcasts and those teams, they have no reason to think, well, yeah, you know, the guy also had a life he had to navigate. Both those trips to Miami and then to Tempe, you know, you go down with the team and everybody's having fun for a week ahead of time and I'm in my room studying. You know, I mean, it's like I couldn't, I couldn't have been more focused and, and you know, Football players and coaches will just kind of snicker at that. What are you, you know, all you're doing is broadcasting, right? But so it wasn't just the night before. It was like, it was like the whole week ahead of time. But I don't know that I'll ever forget the closing minute of the Orange Bowl win uh, over Miami. I mean, that just represented the longest ordeal for Nebraska fans to, you know, finally get it done after so long, you know, after those two championships in the early 70s, it, it, you know, is like, take me now because I've seen it and bring that trophy back to Lincoln, right? You know, it's like it was just a joyous feeling and then it never stopped that night and we get back to Lincoln and there's a huge uh, event at the Devaney Center and people lined up at the airport. I mean, and just the, the joy that that created was just, a, it's, it's beyond description. Even right now it is. But as the saying goes, all good things must come to an end. When the contract rights for the radio broadcasts were up for renewal in 1996, Pavelka, along with his broadcast partner Gary Saddlemeyer, were dealt a devastating blow. I remember there were three serious bidders for the renewal. KFAB, Host Communications, and Pinnacle, which nobody really knew. I mean, that was brand new. I happened to know Paul Aaron, who was behind it. And the two of us who do this for a living, KFEB and Host, were within, I think, within $100,000 of each other. And Pinnacle came in with a massively higher bid, uh, massively, to the point where it was uh, too difficult for Bill Byrne and the university to, to walk away from it. And so, you know, that was it. So we lost the games for five seasons, and Kent and I ended up not being the broadcasters. And there were a lot of people that didn't like that. And there was a lot of uh, what today would be social media outrage about it. But I mean, it is, you know, life goes on. Well, I, I knew it was going to happen because I, you know, hadn't heard anything from the principals involved who procured the broadcast rights. But I was hopeful to the end that maybe something would happen. And so I think I got a call. I think I got a call at five o'clock in the morning from somebody saying that it was in the paper or something that Warren Swain had been hired. So I just called in and said, I'm not, I won't be in today. And the reality of it hit me, you know. You know, I invested too much of myself into it, if, 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 to be honest. I mean, no one should feel that way about a job, right? 
Um, it's just a job. But I had invested more than I should have, and it was uh, it was painful. It was very, very painful for a long time. It was tough, to be perfectly honest. It was tough for Kent. And um, we both missed it tremendously. I think, I think Kent had a little more difficult time uh, moving on from that than I did. It was just such a part of his life from from a little kid in Lincoln. I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, this was literally a big part of his life. The university, the Huskers, and then to have the Heritage stationed and be able to be a part of that and broadcast the games. I was upset and and disappointed and and missed it tremendously, but I kind of said, well, you know, what are you going to do? Tom Osborne always used to say, control what you can control, you know. So, but it was it was a little tougher for Kent. I remember that winter between the end of the Fiesta Bowl and I told him, I said, during basketball season that followed, I said, I don't want to, let's, let's talk about this when basketball's over. And I remember he called me once um, in, in, when I was at Oklahoma State for a basketball trip, and he wanted to know if I'd given it any more thought. And I said, I'm going to hire somebody to negotiate this with you because I don't want our friendship to get in the way of, of this, and I don't want this to get in the way of our friendship. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, just keep in mind, I can have Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck, one of the two, do the games, and it won't make any difference. And so, you know, what he was saying is he's going to get the advertising revenue regardless of who he put in the broadcast booth. And um, the thing that I was thinking about the other day, I kind of forgotten about this. When they announced that Pinnacle had won the broadcast rights and KFAB, you know, didn't win, one of Bill Burns' or one of the chancellor's people made it a point to ask me because I went to I delivered the KFAB bid to in Lincoln to the, where, whichever office we had to take it to and I, I don't remember the gentleman's name but it was either somebody from the Chancellor's office or Burns office I think it was Chancellor's office met me there and said, asked me said will you consider leaving KFAB if KFAB doesn't win the broadcast rights and I said I will consider that yes and he said, good, because it's really important that we have a chance to keep you on as the play-by-play announcer. Well, you know, that gave that emboldened me to probably ask for more money than I should have, I guess. That's the way Paul Aaron thought about it and uh, Dale Jensen. They didn't see any value. We were just overhead, that's all. But, I, you know, I, I often think that I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have uh, listened to the fact that supposedly it was important to them that I consider leaving KFAB because I thought, well, I'm in a pretty good position here, you know, and it turns out I wasn't. Husker Sports Network Originals are presented by JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of Husker Nation. Find out more about this great Husker partner at JTECCONST.com. Now, back to passion, preparation, pride, the Kent Pavelka story. What was the process of, of coming back and putting on a headset, calling a Husker game again? As soon as as soon as Paul Aaron was out of the picture, the very next day they called and and it was and it was and I'll, I'll tell you it's interesting. It was Mark Bame and Steve Peterson who made it happen, and I think that you know it never would have happened as long as the ownership was still pinnacle. But once they got out of it, the very next day they called and asked me if I'd come back do basketball, and I said absolutely. Pavelka may have been best known for his work in the broadcast booth for football, 
but KP brought the same energy and passion courtside for the Nebraska basketball team as well. His interest in Husker hoops started at a young age. I was kind of right in that age group where grade school and early junior high school was uh, before all the, the mania hit and then, you know, in junior high school and high schools when, uh, when all the success started to happen. But my interest in it, I, th I guess, predated Devaney and predated, you know, I, I remember going to games where Jerry Bush was the basketball coach, you know, and um, I was there when I was there when Cassie Russell beat Nebraska, or Nebraska beat Cassie Russell in an undefeated Michigan team in the, in the mid-60s. So, um, you know, the, the timing for me was that I grew up right when all this exploded. And that just intensified my interest in, in getting into this business, really. Eric Cord looking for the opening. He found it. He shot through. Put it up and into the layup. 60 to 55. Nebraska by five points. Morningstar. Bounce pass right side. Stolen by Bob Siegel. Here comes Bob down the court. Layup up. It's good. 62 to 55. The Huskers go back out on top by seven points. You know, since since I got to do Nebraska basketball from the get-go, when I went to KFAB in 1974, and without interruption, you know, I couldn't wait for basketball season to start. I mean, who wants to be second fiddle if you want to be a play-by-play -play guy, right? I, I appreciated being the color guy for Bremser, but that's not what I wanted to do. And so, you know, basketball was just as important to me, if not more important, because I got to do the games. And uh, I gave it my all. And, you know, you can give it your all as a analyst or a color guy, but it really doesn't mean a whole lot because you can't do the games. Bo has handed the basketball. In the backcourt, it comes to Buchanan. Buchanan guarded there by Livingston. 13, 12. Buchanan across the line on the right side. Pops out to Bo Reed. Moving to the left side. Eight, seven seconds, six seconds. Bo hands it off to EJ. It's loose on the floor. Reed gets it. Puts it up. Left corner. Go! Fifteen seconds to go. Smith to Downing. Ten seconds. Williams right side to Cloudy. Nine, eight, seven. Williams left side to Downing. Shoots it from 25. Got it! It's good! Huskers will take a one-point lead into the dressing room over Iona on a 25-footer by Greg Downing. And there's the horn, and Nebraska wins the 1996 National Invitation Tournament, knocking off St. Joseph's of Pennsylvania. 60-56. What a special, special, special moment this is in the history of Nebraska basketball. Left elbow, backdoor cut, layup, up and good by McClay. Off the pass from Anderson. We've got a two-point game at 45-43. to Doc Sadler slicing and dicing the Texas Longhorns. Spencer brings it up on the dribble. Right side to Richardson, shoots a three. Got it! It's good! It's good! Richardson drains it. It's 61-56. to 61 to 56 with 2.13 to go in the second overtime. Nebraska with a five point lead. So long, Bob Devaney. After 37 years, it's all over in this arena, and it could not have been a better or more perfect night. Five, four, three, two, one. The Huskers have done it. Nebraska knocks off Wisconsin. Final score 77 to 68. 
They're storming the floor. Bad play on the offensive end for Michigan State. And Shields with a steal. Took it away from Valentine. Shields all the way to the rack. Kicks it out. Three by McVay. Got it! Three ball. Jack McVay. Bang a ring. And the Oscars have tied the game at 56. No broadcast would be complete without a color analyst. KP, a former color man himself, has had some good ones over the years, including former Husker Matt Davison, now the current associate AD of Nebraska football. I mean, I remember, you know, driving around with my dad on the farm as a kid and listening to to games on the radio and, and hearing Kent. I remember him in basketball first and you know Clifford Scales and I mean all these names that I remember him talking about Bo Reed I mean and uh so yeah for sure the guy was a legend I knew his voice when I was probably six years old or eight years old driving around with my parents my dad in the tractor or whatever listening to Husker games in the midcourt Trey Davis left side out of Gordon on the elbow, the handoff, the Esho, double team comes in. That was all ball. Biggs got all ball. That's a terrible call. I remember sitting to, next to him because there were hardly any fans there in Charleston, and he was all, it was uh, Ted Valentine. Got all ball. Well, he was driving to, the, to his right side, right by the top of the key, and looked like the help defense came, and they got Biggs with the reach. Biggs was the help came in with the right hand and got the ball and Esho's at the free throw line and it's short and the rebound off the miss Nebraska Smith's got it and <laughs> and, <laughs> and so you could hear everything there's no fans there it was a terrible call awful just awful and the guy's right in front of us I'm like he hears you Kent <laughs> he has ears I don't think he likes you Kent Here's I, don't, I don't think that's going to help us get a call later in the game, I'll tell you that. Crossover dribble, Biggs gives it up to Webster. Pump fake, drive, spins in the lane, kick out. Rivers on the left elbow. Rivers backing up. Are you going to blame this on me now? Well, you're the one that out? said it. <laughs> Who do you want to blame? The official. Well, There's 50 people here. The I, official can hear every word you're saying. I can't help how loud I am here as Biggs driving the ball, spins in the lane, puts it up, can't finish. My apologies. <laughs> My apologies. And now he doesn't want to talk to yeah, me. Now he's mad at me, but I did apologize. Look, he's the guy who just brings it every night. Currently, KP does the games with Jake Muleheisen, a Lincoln native and former team captain of the Nebraska men's basketball team. I just knew him growing up listening to him do all the football games. That's it. But I will laugh. The first time I subbed in for Davison on a road trip, he made me carry his bags. So that's, that was one of the funnier things I get there. He's like, carry this for me, will you? And it wasn't rude or anything like that. But, you know, he's, uh, it, it, was, it was fun the first time. And, and the best thing about it was I was so nervous. And he really made me feel comfortable. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I still don't. But he was, uh, he's been awesome to work with. And, you know, but I, did not, I had never met Kent prior to coming and doing this. You hear all the stories. And, 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 and being buddies with Matt Davis, and he'd kind of filled me in a little bit. And you go in and I remember one of the, another road game we went to and, you know, he goes to the games when he was setting up and he gets there five hours before the game and he's freaking out that the stuff's not working and he's asking me for help. And I go, I, I, I don't know how to set this stuff up, but you know, he gets in a panic. He's getting all of his boards taped and all of a sudden doesn't work. So I, I think that was at Penn state and it worked up. It was working to the game. And I actually had to, his mic went out 
I had to do play by play for like a minute, and that was atrocious. But it was just he just he is about as best prepared as someone can be doing the games. In 2018, Kent reached a significant broadcasting milestone, his 1,000th Husker broadcast. Wow, this is fun. Can we do this every game? 1,000 broadcasts is a lot of broadcasts for a 45-year-old man. Um, I want to recognize my wife and my son. They're in section 119 over there. They're wearing red. You can stand up. Stand up and wave. My wife, Lou, and my son, Aaron. Thank you. They've been with me through thick and thin. Uh, I knew when I was probably 10 or 12 years old that I wanted to do this. Uh, but I had to do a couple things before that could happen. I had to arrange a meeting with James Naismith so he could invent the game. I mean, it was a long time ago. And then I got together with Marconi and we reinvented radio. So I was set to go for the first one back on November 30th, 1974. Game Nebraska won 89-72 over South Dakota State. How about that for a memory? So I just am here to tell you it was an honor and a thrill. That first one 44 years ago, and it, it is today. I guess, uh, I, you know, that whole season, and certainly in the days leading up to that game, I gave a lot of thought to all the years that have gone by, for one thing, and just I just marvel even to this day, how, how did that happen? You know, like I said earlier, what the hell? I mean, how did this happen? <laughs> you know? 1974 and it's 2020 you know so there's that angle to it but I just you know I think I was so first of all touched by the fact that they would want to do that for me but the thing that I think about now when you bring it up is what it felt like walking out onto that floor and you know there it seemed to me like everybody stayed in their seats it was like I can't tell you what it feels like to have to look around that arena when you're standing on the floor and feel the love you know and I really did I really really did I have believed for a long long time that most of my fortune and being fortunate in this business was a was a matter of, of luck you know being in the right place at the right time and having known the right people and the timing being right yeah I think he was thrilled and I think he still is I mean you know what was it, last season or the season before he did his 1,000th broadcast, and it was nice that the university had a, uh, an acknowledgement there during halftime one of the games, and I, I think he loves it, and he's great at basketball, and he loves basketball, and uh, he, <laughs> I remember when I, <laughs> I remember when I first came here, uh, and Kent and I were talking, I came here in December, I think this was probably that same winter during the basketball season, Joe Cipriano was the coach, and Kent told me, you know what, he said, Nebraska, for as long as I can remember, has been about in the middle of the pack at about a 50-50, never been great, and he said, it's probably always going to be that way. <laughs> that way, but hope springs eternal, and every season, we talk about, okay, this could be it, we do this, we do that, we do this, we do that, and, and of course, now with Fred Hoiberg, everybody's 
hoping that uh, that that drought is finally over. We'll see. It feels good, you know. It feels good to have people uh, enjoy what you do and feel like you're part of it. You know, they feel like you are part of the of the thing of the of the of the program of the paradigm. You know, you're part and parcel of it, and it feels good. You know, and it's 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 unique to the basketball environment once again because you're there, right there in football. You're kind of up in a booth and. You're not um, you're not amongst the fans, and you're not amongst the players like you are in basketball either. So it's just a more intimate opportunity, I guess. I'll say he's like a, he's a legend. You know, in in the state of Nebraska, everybody knows who Kent Pavelka is. I mean, you just go on even on road trips. He, he everybody knows him. The other radio guys know him. TV guys know him. Uh, referees know him. He's uh, he's been doing it for such a long time that people are coming down, uh, talking to him before and after games, and getting pictures with him, and and rightfully so. I mean. He's called a lot of games, football and basketball, seen a lot of stuff, and he's a legend. And, and it was cool to, to be alongside with him on this thousandth game and, and, and be a part of that. Well, I know how they feel based on how they interact with him. I mean, everybody wants to say hello to Kent. Everybody, you know, wants a picture or to, you know, have him say hi or to tell him a story. He's been around Husker sports for so long that almost every age across the board knows him. Right. I mean, if you're in college and you listen to the games, if you're 30 years old, he's been doing the games for a number of years now. If you're older, you remember him from the 70s or 80s or whatever. So pretty much everybody in the Husker Nation knows who Kent Pavelka is. And so they all want to they want to just say they met him or shake his hand or have him say hello. He has a, a great way about him when he's dealing with the fans. And I appreciate that about him. He he likes meeting people. He wants to make their day. He has a smile on his face. And um, I think our fans appreciate that about him, too. I think when he calls a, a, a three-pointer and says, got it, or bang or rang during an NCAA tournament win, that'll be, his, that'll be his, his legacy. I think he'll go down. I mean, obviously, he had the football status, but I think he'll go down being more known as a basketball play-by-play guy when it's all said. Now, hopefully, because if, if and when Hoiberg gets it going, I think that that basketball will be a, a really tough ticket to get. I think it'll be listened to a lot more than already is, and we're listening to it a bunch. And I think he'll be known on that on that front, calling that that first tournament win, being one of the last Power Five schools to win one. And I think he'll be he'll be known for that. I think it'll be really cool. I think he'll be remembered as the voice of the Huskers to generations of Nebraskans and Husker fans. I mean, I look back when we were he was remember he worked with Lyle Bremser. Uh, starting in, I think, 1972 or three, uh, and then became the play-by-play uh, for Husker football through 1995, and did Husker basketball starting in 1973, play-by-play, and then, and then there was a break of a few years, and then picked it up again. And he is known all across the state for that. Uh, he is known across the conference for that. I remember in the Big Eight, he had to dodge angry fans because he, he could, because they could hear him, you know. Especially down in Missouri, the Antlers, you know, they'd sit behind the broadcaster and they were, they were threatening his life. And he was standing up and waving his arms. And he's just such a part of it and such a character. I think he will be remembered more than anybody else, especially with basketball, as the voice of the Huskers. And man, what a legacy! I'm so happy for him. His legacy to me is always going to be just his passion for. The, the games that he broadcasts. Nobody wants to win. Nobody wants Nebraska to win more than Kent. And I think it just comes through in the broadcasts. His his emotion that he puts into the calls, his big calls are as good as anybody's. 
and you know he just has a, a great want to about him. He wants to do a good job for the fans. He works hard at it, and he's he's, he's a, a guy that nobody is ever going to forget whenever it's over. But I promise you this: he's going to do the games for as long as he possibly can because he loves it, and and he should. So. He's a good friend, a great man, and, and we've been lucky to have him in, involved in Husker Athletics. Probably a handful of things. One, that I was you know, just so fortunate to have the opportunity. I think I'll think about all the work that was involved. I mean, just the immense amount of uh, work that it has been. But, but it's been a labor of, it's, it's been something I've enjoyed, don't get me wrong, but it that's one thing I don't think anybody would even imagine. That can't be work, right? I mean, all you do is get on the radio and talk about, you know, just do the game, right? But more than anything, it's been, um, it'll be about those great games, you know, where you got over, the, did get over the, were able to climb over the top of the hill in, in national championship games and the big wins. But more than anything, it'll be about the relationships. And we've talked a lot about that and all the people, you know, and how much fun it's been think about just it's like your life your life flashes in front of your eyes when you when somebody asks you that question all the people like i'm thinking of milt tenniper for one you know just the wonderful times i had with him and and dan young and of course doc and before that mo iba and and danny all the experiences with, with those guys and they were all so unique it's just been a lot of fun The proceeding has been a Husker Sports Network original. Passion, preparation, pride. The Kent Pavelka story was narrated by Ben McLaughlin. Executive producers were Josh Hilkeman, Tim Curran, and Austin Orman. Sound designed by Brett Whitty. Special thanks to Paul Jake Jacobson. Subscribe to Husker Sports Network podcast for more great Husker Sports original episodes presented by JTEC Construction.